Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Merry Christmas. No matter what it looked like for you this year, I hope you enjoyed a wonderful celebration of the birth of our Savior. Let's begin this morning by reading a collection of passages. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 1 Thessalonians verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul greets the church in Corinth by saying, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. In that same letter, he'll later say, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most of the passages I just read include the word sanctify. And sanctify is a theological word that means to make holy or purify. Remember back to our holiness series from this summer, uh, where we learned God is holy, but also desires to make people holy and set them apart for his purposes. And so throughout the scriptures, there are invitations for us to be sanctified, evidence that part of the work of God is to sanctify us, to make us holy. But what does this mean, and how are we to understand this call? Even what impact does this invitation have on our day-to-day lives, and how do we receive this making holy work from God? These are the kinds of questions that Mildred Bangs Winecoop has dedicated her life to answering. Uh, Welcome to the next installment of our Her Story series. Uh, Mildred Bangs was born in 1905 to parents Carol and Mary. And she, along with her four sisters and her one brother, would ride every Sunday on a horse-drawn buggy to Seattle First Church of the Nazarene. Now this young denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, of which Emmaus Road is a part, was looking for how it would teach and to preach its defining doctrine, the doctrine of entire sanctification. And this young church had begun with a heart to see people live holy lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the question of how to teach and preach that holy living was still being worked out in earnest. In her memoir, Mildred Winecoop remembers sitting in the front row of a church at age five and praying. Dear God, why doesn't the preacher say things so I can understand them? When I get big, Lord, if I am a preacher, I'll explain things to people. Well, as Mildred aged and got older, that impulse to understand 
and to help others understand, never went away. In fact, the vast majority of her life was spent in the classroom, whether as a student or as a teacher. She earned two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and a doctorate in theology. She taught theology around the world, served as a university president, and ended her career as the theologian in residence at the Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Her contributions to the Church of the Nazarene and to the church as a whole are significant. But what were those contributions specifically? And why would I choose to highlight her story in this series? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I invite you to stick with me here as we're going to be looking at some history and some theology. So hang with me. Uh, the, the Church of the Nazarene was born out of the American holiness movement, uh, which focused on building a theological framework for understanding the scriptural call to sanctification, to holy living. The movement sought to discern uh, what this scriptural invitation to holiness looked like in real life and how one enters into this holy life, all with the goal of bearing witness to the powerful work of God in Christ. And I have to say, I'm so thankful for the work of these theological thinkers and their desire to lead people into a life of Christ. And so during the American holiness movement and in the early days of the Church of the Nazarene, most came to understand the sanctifying work of God like this. That after the, a believer's initial commitment to Christ, there came a second significant work of God in which the sinful nature of the believer was eradicated, removed. And this eradicating work of God then enabled persons to live without sin. Keep following me here. Uh, preachers spoke to their congregations about this second work of God in which God removed our sinful nature and unlocking for us a life above sin. And as you can imagine, this was very well received. Congregation members flocked to the altars to receive this second work of God so they could enter their new life without sin. Pretty quickly, though, there was a problem. Pastors and scholars alike began to notice a gap between the promise of the sanctification experience and the experience of life after sanctification. And you see the problem. If the experience promised to remove the possibility of sin, but people continued to sin after the experience, then you have to decide if the experience itself wasn't authentic or our understanding of the experience was off. Now, Mildred Weinkoop, having attended the Church of the Nazarene since she was a small girl, was right in the middle of all this. She noticed the trouble and came to call the problem between the promise of entire sanctification and the reality of human experience, the credibility gap. Here, here's, let's listen to her directly. Here's what she writes. Quote, Our problem is a credibility gap. Of all the credibility gaps in contemporary life, none is more real and serious than that which exists between the Christian doctrine and everyday human life. The absolute of holiness theology 
may satisfy the mind, but the imperfection of the human self seems to deny all the perfection of Christ, that Christian doctrine affirms. This has created a vast and disturbing dualism between idea and life, between profession and practice, end quote. And so staying true to her commitment to learn uh, and help others understand what Weinkoop does is she suggested a totally new framework for understanding the scriptural call to sanctification and holy living. And this is really what I want to tell you about today, because it's made a profound difference in my own life. Her work is outlined in her book titled A Theology of Love, first published in 1972. Now, any framework for understanding holiness must also include an understanding of sin. And the American holiness movement, and therefore many in the early years of the Church of the Nazarene, saw sin as this substantive thing that, needed, that lived in each of us and needed to be removed. Weinkoop, however, took a different approach. She defined sin not as a substantive thing, but as a relational reality. So she defined sin in relational terms. Under Weinkoop's thinking, sin wasn't something that needed to be eradicated or removed. Sin was a rebellion against God and a description of the estranged relationship between God and humanity. She believed sin as a rebellion um, against God through the actions that willfully disobeyed God. And so in a relational context, sin is a failure to love God completely. Again, let's hear Weinkoop's own words. Quote, sin is love gone astray. Sin is love locked onto a false center of the self. Sin is the distortion of love. End quote. What this points us to is that my love can be distorted in all kinds of ways, and, and this distortion uh, does damage to my relationship with God and also my relationship to others. And so my love is distorted when I pursue things that aren't honoring to God. My love is distorted when I mistreat my neighbor, fail to listen to those who aren't like me or resort to violence. My love is distorted when I exploit creation. And we could go on with many other examples but when we see it in this way, we can see again that sin damages our relationship with God and our relationship with others. It's a relational reality. And this relational view of sin had a deep impact then on how she began to understand the experience of being made holy. Where sin is a distorted relationship with God because of love gone astray, Holiness is restored relationship with God through love that is made perfect. For Weinkoop, holiness wasn't defined by the absence of something, the sinful nature removed. It was defined by the presence of perfect love. And this love, this perfect love, led me to love God and also to love my neighbor. Holiness, then, can be understood not as this experience where this thing is removed from us, 
but rather this relational reality, this gift of love that we are given that leads us to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that my every intention of my heart is to honor God, even if my actions mess up. And so I can honor God through acts of worship and devotion to Him. I honor God through the way that I treat my neighbor. I honor God in the way that I care for creation. I honor God when I help meet the needs of others. Again, it's better to just hear from Weinkoop directly. This is how she defines the scriptural invitation to holiness. Quote, Holiness is love, pure love, personal, mutual love between God and humanity and between humanity in God's love. End quote. She then reiterates her point by saying, quote, Holiness is the fullness of mutual love, both great and small. End quote. Maybe I could try to summarize her thought a little bit with this. Weinkoop's theology of love is a bit like, uh, picture a throne room in your heart. And this throne room is filled with all the things in your life that you love. Big things, little things, tangible things, intangible things. But in your heart is this throne room, and the throne room is filled with all the things you love. Things big and small that catch your affection in this life. Could be hobbies you participate in, could be content you consume, could be intangibles of life or even people. But it is a throne room, which means something in the room sits on the throne. Sin is when something or someone sits on the throne other than God. Holiness is when God takes God's rightful place on the throne. And what Weinkoop points us to is that this is a dynamic reality. Not sort of this static thing, but this dynamic relationship with God in which I am constantly given the choice to keep God on the throne and hold all my other loves accountable to my primary love for God. And so things are moving in and out of the throne room all the time, and the believer always has a choice of who or what is on the throne. Again, Weinkoop puts it this way, quote, Holiness and sin are two kinds of relationship to God, one positive and the other negative. But both are active because it is the person forced to decision choosing the right or wrong object to love. Now, Mildred Weinkoop's teaching on the Christian life essentially brought holiness from sanctuary altars into our homes, our workplaces, and our school, schools. It moved the experience of being made holy by God from this happened to me to this is happening in me. It describes this dynamic relationship between us and God. And it makes scriptures like, May the God of peace sanctify you entirely much more accessible and understandable. It's important to note here that the work of sanctifying isn't that I was bad and need to be made good. 
No, you are an image bearer of God and a person of infinite worth. Rather, the work of sanctification is an indication that God desires to do this thing in our life in such a way that it brings about our full potential as the image bearers of God. It's a a process that we go through where we can more properly and more perfectly reflect God's image to the world. And so we're brought to a place where we love God completely, desire the will of God above all else, It's a process that replaces the distorted love with mutual love for God and for neighbor. As I reflect on my own ministry, and as I learned more about the story of Mildred Weinkoop, I recognized what a profound impact she has had on not only my own understanding of this important doctrine of sanctification, but just in my ministry life and preaching life. As I've talked about these things in very theological, almost academic terms, my hope is that at least some of it would sound familiar to those of you who have heard my preaching over a period of time. That woven into my understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God and be a Christian is so much of Weinkoop's dynamic theology of love. And so I'm so proud and honored to tell her story as a way of inviting us into this work of being made holy, this sanctifying work of God. She's helped me make sense of the scriptural call to holy living, and I hope that she's helped you as well. And so on this first Sunday in Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I invite you into this dynamic relationship of love for God. I encourage you to identify the loves of your life, both big and small, and invite God to be the center of all the loves, your primary love. For then you will experience salvation and sanctification. And as we live this life, may we learn to extend to ourselves the same grace that God extends to us. For at any time or the situations or the moments when we fall short and we let other things rule our hearts, there is grace and forgiveness of God that is available to us. And so my hope is that we would extend that same grace and forgiveness to ourselves. For our relationship with God is dynamic and alive. So may we learn to love God completely. Amen. Let's pray together. God of grace and God of love, we thank you so much that you have loved us, so much that you would see fit to enter this this beautiful mess called life. But in so doing, you would demonstrate for us a way of life called the kingdom of God. That you would demonstrate for us the power of forgiveness. And so God, as you have shown your love for us in all of these ways, I pray then that we would respond with love for you. 
there are so many things in this life and in this world to love, many which are perfectly congruent with our love for you, but some things that are not. So Lord, would you cleanse us from the things that would be un unpleasing or displeasing to you? And would you fill us up with divine love that would be directed not only toward you, but also would God would be directed toward others? That this divine and cleansing love would lead us into love for one another, love for neighbor, and love for you. Thank you, God, for your work in our lives. May we be your image bearers in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.